0: Good morning and welcome. It's the Patriot Radio News Hour live on Monday, May the 15th. I'm your host, Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group. Our toll-free number, 800-951-0592. The website at allamericangold.com. You can do it all out there. Make sure that's part of your favorites. Get the news to keep you all comfortably disturbed out there. Man, I tell you what, it was a tough weekend for me. That flu was not fun at all. And I I will say this, I wanted to cry, and I'm not talking about about that computer virus that uh, went crazy all over the world, I guess, over the weekend. Wow, I I will say this, uh, I haven't been that sick in a while. And true to form. And my wife, if she was here, could testify I was a big baby about it. <laughs> I really was. And my matter of fact, oh, that hurts the left. My stomach muscles are killing me. I mean, you know, let's face it. I could afford to be in a little better shape. Uh, but, yeah, I was doing a bunch of uh, crunches, uh, just not the sit-up kind. It was more like the uh, get-on-your-knees kind. It was not a not a good weekend. Uh, but I'm here today a little weak, a little tired, but the show must go on and and I'll say this as we kind of think about what happened again. you just never know. every weekend something happened you know you had that that wanna cry virus where uh, some 22 year old in I think it was in the UK who lives with his parents. Stopped it, And I don't know if he stopped it But I think he did He kind of stopped it Now they're saying today uh, That it may reappear uh, A new version may reappear But it was I mean it shut down like hospitals And apparently Registering a domain name I think it was like 11 bucks, $10 and something The kid paid And uh, stopped it in his tracks Otherwise You know this is part of the electronic thing that I always hated. What happens when all the computers go down? <laughs> right. And this one was another, they, they said it was a, a flaw in the Microsoft operating system. Uh, so be careful. Don't open those emails. right? If you don't know wh- who it's from, yeah, don't open them because anybody, it only takes one person and it goes to everybody else apparently, but Uh, We'll have to wait and see. And then, of course, probably the biggest news was North Korea was successful in its latest missile test. Uh, Apparently, we weren't able to shut this one down. It was a ballistic missile. And they say may be nearly as big of a deal as the actual propaganda that the regime tends to make. Experts see several places where North Korea is likely stretching the truth. However, the missile that was launched yesterday appears to be the most powerful the country has ever tested. I think the missile flew over 400 miles. Analysts believe the missile, if proven in further tests, could reach Alaska and Hawaii. Hawaii if fired on a normal instead of a lofted trajectory. So in other words, I guess, you know, before to get to Alaska or or Hawaii, I guess they had to tilt the missile way up. Now apparently I guess they don't. Uh, They said that the uh, the missile test, which landed 60 miles off the Russian coast, gives a boost to the North Koreans. And I don't know, they're talking about, it being able to carry some uh, nuclear warheads and whatever, you know, it just, I don't know, what do you do, right? If they're actually successful and they have missiles now that they, that we can verify that can actually reach Hawaii and Alaska, and you got to believe, you know, right, what, what California's got to be next, right? California, Seattle, Oregon. I don't know. I don't have a good answer right that. That's one of those there really isn't any good answer. Somehow we got to get uh, get this guy to stop. I just don't know how to do it. Doesn't look like we're going to be that successful, but just one more thing to think about. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, this is then you, you think about the reasons, you know, we prepare and and we we prepare. Right for things that we know are going to be gradual. Right? We know uh fiat money's going to go to zero. We know it because it always does. You know, look at it as a, a case in point. Do you know what our derivatives market is? I just saw this today. It's still 500 trillion dollars. That's just in the US. <laughs> I mean, Total United States GDP, you know, even the fake GDP numbers that they like to spew out, right? They're like what 18 trillion, and yet our banks are holding 500 trillion dollars worth of derivatives. Think about it. You add up every dollar in, in people's retirement, and I think you get to like eight, 17 or 18 trillion as well. So, if you took the entire GDP of the nation, right, all of the savings of the of the retirement savings of the entire nation, you're still only at thirty six, thirty seven, you know, thirty eight trillion max. So you kind of understand that one. But a nuclear attack on Alaska or Hawaii—that's a whole lot harder to prepare for. Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. Don't worry if you're worried about North Korea. The United Nations Security Council is going to meet tomorrow in a closed-door meeting. So I'm sure... <laughs> oh, man, we need to get rid of that, don't we? I still don't know anything good that's ever come out of it except us spending a whole bunch of money. But they're going to meet tomorrow, and they're calling for tougher sanctions. I'm sure, yeah, that's that's going to do it. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about the size. Of the derivatives market, and, and for most people, they truly don't understand that this really ultimately is the backbone of the fiat currency system. This is what's going to implode. That is going to be essentially be the end of it all. And this is the this is the debt that nobody likes to talk about. In the latest report from the two-day conference on derivatives and regulatory changes. Yes, I know that was quite a yawner, right? Yeah, I don't know how many people were going to the derivatives and regulatory uh, changes conference. But that's what you got me for. I didn't go to the conference, uh, but I did read about it. They're saying that the just over $500 trillion in outstanding over-the-counter derivatives remain an important asset class. And, of course, it's kind of funny to, to call it that uh, because it's so big. $500 trillion, 25 times the GDP of the United States, seven times global GDP... Derivatives aren't just an important asset class; they're the largest financial weapon of mass destruction. That was actually Warren Buffett, and I'll say this: I don't agree uh, with a lot of what Warren Buffett said. Uh, you know, Warren Buffett made made his his fortune. He's probably the the one guy you can point to to say, you know, he was the the debt king, because you know the other guys like Bill Gross, right? He made his fortune th- through a company. You know, Carlos Slim, the Mexican billionaire, same thing. You know, you 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 look at uh, Larry Ellison from Oracle, the guy now from uh, Amazon. But Buffett did it by using other people's money and buying companies and doing all of that stuff. But he called the derivatives the financial weapon of mass destruction. And they're used for hedging economic risk. And one of the things you have to think about is what could we possibly have to hedge that would be worth $500 trillion? They are called speculative directional exposures. <laughs> That's really what? Speculative directional exposures. Not sure which direction they're they're referring to, but they are also known as very risky one sided bets. It's all tied together in a what the, we'll say like a an opaque interwoven interbanking system. The chart from the New York Fed shows how derivatives ballooned 150% or by $360 trillion in less than the four years before the financial crisis. Now think about this, okay? So the derivatives market was about You know, you think about it, about $140 billion, give or take. Then it balloons, and then it got as high as $700 trillion when you did all the quantitative easing that the Federal Reserve uh, was doing. Now it sits at over $500 trillion, which is the highest level since right before the financial crisis. And you think about in, in like two thousand five, this thing wasn't even two hundred billion dollars. Two hundred I'm sorry, two hundred trillion dollars. The vast majority of these derivatives are interest rate and credit contracts. Now again, interest rates And then, of course, the credit contracts. So when you think about the Federal Reserve and all of this talk about interest rates, then you kind of see, how did this happen? How did we get this huge spike in this extremely dangerous class? And the answer really is simple. All the interest rates are near zero. You know the funny thing is, is you you look at today the ten-year note; it's only at two point three, and yet the Fed is supposed to next month raise interest rates to one percent, which should put the ten-year note about three, three and a quarter, about almost a whole point higher than where it is now. But it, it's not. And the realities are, I don't know what the economic consequences would be if it is. Remember, Bill Gross says it can't go above (laughs) 2.6. I think I may find out why. Why Why would he say that? According to the OCC, on their 2016 report on derivatives, J.P. Morgan Chase, you want a reason why we need to break these banks up? Holds $47.5 trillion of derivatives. At least what they say is $47.5 No one really knows. And this is the problem with this market. Everybody says, well, yeah, we, we price it at 100%. We know the economy's not 100%, and I don't care what the unemployment rate is. It's not 100%. We don't have GDP growth. We're running budget deficits of half a trillion dollars and growing by the second. Right? We don't even. We haven't even passed the budget for 2017. You think about it, it's May, June, July, August, September, and it's over fiscal year starts on October 1st, and we still don't even have one. We don't even know what the debt is right now. Citibank holds $43.9 trillion. Right? You think about your FDIC insurance. Right? All of you that feel comfortable with that. Right? They don't even have they don't even have $50 $50 billion, dollars, much less $47 trillion. The top 25 U.S. banks hold $165 trillion dollars of, deli- of derivatives. $165 trillion. Dollars. That was the total of all the derivative markets all over the world. 12 years ago. Now just the 25 largest U.S. banks own that much. Here's what Warren Buffett described this market as. I view derivatives as time bombs. Both for the parties that deal in them and the economic system. These instruments call for money to change hands at some future date with the amount to be determined by one or more reference items, such as interest rates, stock prices, or currency values. Unless derivative contracts are collateralized or guaranteed Which, by the way, we know those things really don't exist, right? Because what happened during the housing crisis, none of those, even the guaranteed ones, they could not pay. Because let's face it, you can't have $500 trillion worth of derivatives and not have $500 trillion worth of value to support it. I mean, this doesn't work. Their ultimate value depends on the creditworthiness of the counterparty, which is essentially what Warren Buffett said. With, same thing I just told you, which is, hey, you can slap guarantee on it all you want. That guarantee is only good if the people that are guaranteeing it actually have the money. Before a contract is settled, the counterparty records profit and losses often in huge amounts in their current earnings statements without so much as a penny changing hand. Right? So every year, oh, no, yeah, we, we, you know, this thing is 100%, and it goes up every year. And they just mark their books like they they booked profit. They haven't sold the derivatives. But they're pretending that it's worth more. Year after year, month after month, year after year, completely overstated garbage. I shouldn't call it garbage. There is some value. But the problem is, is this market is now so big that even the smallest of losses is way more than anybody can can pay. Those who trade derivatives in whole or in part are paid on earnings calculated by mark-to-market accounting. But so often, there's actually no real market. And according to to Buffett, this can lead to large-scale mischief. Listen, if there's no market, what do you think the banks are going to do? You know, when you start thinking about all of these banks, you think about the interest rate scandal. Remember the LIBOR scandal? And... And you kind of think about why they were doing this. It really didn't make a whole lot of sense to rip people off for so little, but it, there was a lot more at stake. Think about Wells Fargo. I don't know if you saw, if you go onto to our website today, Ramon put a great article up. Now they're saying that the number of fake accounts may be 50% higher than what they originally reported. I mean, these people were ripping off millions. Right. Nobody went to prison for it. Yeah, okay, couple people lost their job, <laughs> right? Lost their job, and maybe they, they didn't get the big fat bonus. As a general rule, contracts involving multiple reference items and distant settlement dates increases the opportunity for counterparties to use Fancyful assumption. The two parties of, of to the contract might as well use differing models, allowing both of them to show substantial profits for many years. In extreme cases, Buffett says I'd like to call them Mark to miss. I want to point out that over the last 10 years, we've had the largest spike in this market right here, which means, guess what, pretty soon these things are going to come due. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, here's Ryan Hyde.
1: Donald Trump's effective use of Twitter has often dominated the news cycle. But a new tweet from Representative Steve King gives the president a run for his money. In March, the eight-term congressman from Iowa tweeted, Culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. Well, the liberal media reacted in horror. The Washington Post objected to King's reference to our civilization as being distinct from others, while feminists predictably took offense at the suggestion that American women should have more babies. Steve King's notion that Americans have a distinct civilization, which is better than others and worth preserving, has a long and distinguished history. Alexis de Tocqueville noted it in his 1835 book, Democracy in America, saying, "...the position of the Americans is therefore quite exceptional." Steve King is not backing down in the face of criticism. Speaking the next day on CNN, he elaborated, you've got to keep your birth rate up, and you need to teach your children your values. In doing so, you can grow your population, you can strengthen your culture, and you can strengthen your way of life. After the baby boom collapsed around 1970, some thought that immigrants could somehow substitute for the babies that Americans stopped having. But the idea that immigrants will save Social Security has been debunked, as research shows that low-skill, low-wage immigrants inevitably consume more benefits than they contribute to the system. King's comments were especially timely as Congress considered a bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. One of the most pernicious aspects of Obamacare was its insistence on defining abortion and contraception as preventive care, which all health plans must provide to women with no copay or deductible. Preventing babies from being born is not medicine, Steve King said in 2011. That's not constructive to our culture and our civilization. If we let our birth rate get down below replacement rate, we're a dying civilization. Without backing down, Steve King tweeted, Let's make Western civilization great again. No one should take offense at that goal, given how much Western civilization has achieved for the immense benefit of the entire world.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In a civilized society, there's no such thing as an unwanted child. Mothers with unplanned pregnancies should be loved and guided toward life-giving choices. At PSEagles.com, you can join the blog conversation on how to protect the innocent victims of abortion, unborn babies, and their moms. That's PSEagles.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: He was backwards,
0: backwards. You Welcome back. Patriot like Radio on on News, News. News I know it's so, complicated, so hard to explain. And and I know that that... I'm probably not doing the, the greatest job in how big of a problem this is. You know, most people don't realize this, but the derivatives market really didn't exist until the late 1990s. Matter of fact, in 2000, there was less than $100 trillion worth of derivatives. We're now over five. Hundred trillion, and you kind of start scratching your head and start, what did this 500 trillion get us right and you think about all of this great innovation as they like to call it and really what it is and what people don't understand it's allowed the banks to take even more risk and pretend that it's you know, securitized, right? They put the word, you know, securities right in it. Right? That can make everybody feel better. Hey, don't worry, because it's securitized. And then you start thinking about what happened when all of these things come due, right? And all these banks they use as Warren Buffett with, with Mark to myth. Right, and you think about, like, the Federal Reserve and all their rosy little assumptions that never come to fruition, and you start thinking about, holy smoke, we've added hundreds of trillions of dollars in these things. that Nobody knows what they're worth. They don't ever sell them, but they put them right on the... they, They log them in as profits every single quarter. Oh, yeah, this, oh, yeah, this... Well, I mean, these are backed by Sears buildings. Right? right? We we got balls in here. And you think about all the words that we we never needed to know that we do now. The CDOs, right? That that's a big part of it, and the SIVs and all the tranches and all this other stuff. It's all still there. And this is the part that that is the reason why we're, we're at where we're at, because they never want it to reset. I mean, it really, ultimately, at the end of the day, it really makes no sense to, for them to be this high. And, and of course, the reason it is, is what? Rates are nothing. I mean, Japan, you get nothing. For a they don't. I think it's .003. Not even, what, that three hundredths? Germany, you get uh, not even half of a percent. Ours at 2.3, we're paying more than anybody. And who would loan money to get just that? And then, but the problem is, what we don't know is what happens to all these derivatives if interest rates spike. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to say that it must be pretty bad. Because even now, with the according to Wall Street, there's a 100% chance the Fed's going to raise rates next month. 100%. Yet the 10-year note hasn't moved. Hasn't moved. And it defies the logic. But this is why you need to know all of this stuff, it's not real. And the funny thing is, as you go back and you, you study 100 years of Fed rate hikes and Fed rate cuts, and you track the 10-year note along with the rate hikes and the rate cuts, they almost, almost universally moved in lockstep with each other. If the Fed was going to raise rates a quarter of a point, the 10-year note would, would yield an extra quarter of a point. If they were going to cut a quarter of a point, it would yield a quarter of a point less. And you can track it. It was logical. Today, all of that logic is gone. It no longer does it. And you have to ask the question, why? Right? It can't just be simple. well, the bank doesn't want to pay any of you any interest ever again, which they probably won't ever. But I think this is it. And, you know, you, you think about it, we only get this information every once in a while. We don't really know what the banks are holding. And here's the, here's the problem. We don't know what it is. We know a dollar amount. Right? You you look at the filings of the banks, you'll see a dollar amount. You don't know what it is. They put profits on these things that they never traded. But they just say, Oh no, well it's worth an extra, you know, this derivative here is worth an extra hundred billion. You know, we're we're marked to mark, we're using our best guessing. <laughs> Top guy was on it. He re researched it. And, he up, yeah it, it, don't worry. It's going to be there. And they slap guarantee on everything. I love it. There's a commercial in this town that runs, it seems like Adam. I mean, it's every channel that he's on, on the radio, talking about annuities, right? And, and a 10% upfront bonus and all this other. I mean, it's great. So why wouldn't everybody do it? And well, annuities aren't for everybody because, first of all, you need to have a large punt, punt uh, a large chunk of money to have one. But right at the end, so when he talks. You know, it's great and it's guaranteed and blah blah blah. And then right at the end, it gives that little disclaimer. You know, it talks about prepayment penalties and this penalty and that penalty. And then it says, that, "Oh, by the way, the guarantee is only based upon the insurer's ability to pay." which essentially means there is no guarantee. The second the insurer doesn't have the money to pay, they don't have to pay you. And it's the same way with this $500 trillion market. And again, how did it get so big? The answer is simple. The Federal Reserve, and really this was under Greenspan's guidance, and you think about some of the people that have been, not just Alan Greenfield, uh Hank Paulson, Larry Summers, right? These are people that we know, right? Hank Paulson, former Treasury Secretary, right? Tim Geithner, right? All of these people had their fingerprints on this, and they they reasoned that by chopping these things up into little pieces was somehow going to make it safer. Look at retail malls. Is that safer? I don't care. How many pieces. You could chop it up into a million pieces. You're in trouble. Paid to the radio news hour. We'll be back after the break. <laughs> Moody's lowered its credit ratings for Dominion Bank, Bank of Montreal, Bank of Nova Scotia, Canadian Empirical Bank of Commerce, National Bank of Canada, and Royal Bank of Canada, citing more challenging operating environments for the banks in Canada for the remainder of 2017 and beyond. The downgrade reflects our ongoing concerns that expanding the level of private sector debt could weaken the quality in the future. Right? And what are they talking about? What debt are they talking about? They're talking about these derivatives. That's really ultimately what the ultimate end game is. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but, you know, Canada's starting to hemorrhage now. They're having a big uh, crisis in their mortgage market. Their mortgage l- lending units are starting to, to have issues. matter of fact, there is a huge run on one of them that uh, is putting it on the brink of bankruptcy. Uh, I think one of the Spanish banks this morning uh, has also announced that they're, they're having issues again, and it doesn't stop. It goes away for a little while. But think about what's happening here, what do we know? We know auto defaults are rising, right? We know the auto the auto market's in trouble. They don't wanna say it yet, but they're in trouble, right? Sales are falling, even though discounts are almost at all-time highs, in a lot of cases they are at all-time highs, and over the incentives, defaults keep rising. Right? Now, now we know credit card defaults are, are rising now. We, we've been talking about student loans. And then you start to think about there's $500 trillion of derivatives in these parts. Think about the retail space. By the way, there was an article uh, this weekend talking about how Sears has, they already shut 150 stores. Have been shutting stores without anybody knowing. Well, I shouldn't say without anybody knowing it, but they're they're notifying the state one at a time instead. You know, normally they make, hey, we're closing, you know, fifty stores, hundred stores, three hundred stores. They make the big announcement. They've stopped doing. It. Matter of fact, there's another thirty stores that are going to close by the end of summer, and then on top of the hundred and fifty that have already closed, and you just start thinking about when does it end, and what happens? to the debt that's behind it. Ardreen McNally celebrated her 49th birthday in January. She heard a knock on the door of her modest home in Northeast Philadelphia. She was being served. They actually paid someone to come out and serve me papers on Saturday afternoon, she said. <laughs> like, that I mean, when you owe. But the papers were from the federal government, a lawsuit that represents something more than just an unwelcome birthday gift. It's an example of the program the federal government has brought to 19 cities around the country including cities like Brooklyn, Detroit, Miami, Philadelphia, right all the big ones. You know, you're in the top 20 of this you got this program suing to recover unpaid student loans every day. And this is, you know, you think about every day 10,000 people file for social security. Every day 3,000 people default on their federal student loans. (laughs) It's incredible. And I don't mean to laugh because it's not funny, but it is kind of funny. And those lack of payments amount to unpaid bills right now of already $137 billion. And I can tell you right now, triple that number. Because before you get to this point, it takes years to get to that point. There's easily $500 billion, four to $500 billion of student loans not being paid. And then there's another $500 billion of it, right, where the students are still using it, right? In other words, I'm still in college. I don't have to pay yet, which means i only about a third of student loans are probably even getting paid for. For decades. The government has tried to get borrowers to pay up by hiring debt collection agencies to call them, send letters. But now the government is going to the new strategy of lawsuits. McNally filed for bankruptcy in 2006, clearing out all of her creditors. So think about it. Here's a lady who in 06, like a lot of people, right, a lot of people, she had to file bankruptcy. You can't file bankruptcy on your student loan. But even after filing bankruptcy, right? Hey, I'm writing it all off. I can't pay my credit card, I can't pay my car, I can't pay my I can't pay it. She still couldn't pay, start paying on her student loan. She said she and many others have found out. It's not easy escaping the federal student loan debt. My whole body heats up with frustration, she said. I'm so frustrated over all of this. It's been so many years that they've been sending me mail and threatening me on the phone. How dare they? No offense, I don't have a lot of sympathy. You took out the debt, you need to pay the debt. Here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. 3,000 people a day. I'm going to tell you what the government's going to do about it next. Final segment on a Monday. It's coming. Sure as I'm sitting here. They started this program two years ago. So far, the government has sued 3,300 student loan borrowers. According to the Department of Justice, they are 3,300 3, 300 in oh when it comes to the borrower versus the government. They're pretty good at it. What does the government win? A lien on the borrower's assets. Meaning that the debt is now attached to his or hers most valuable belongings, like their home. So now, according to the latest numbers, the government is going to get your student loan payment one way or another, Anytime a person tries to do a transaction involving a home, this is going to be there. A new mortgage, a refi, if they try to sell it. <laughs> and after all, here's what they say about it, and this is probably really at the heart of the issue. If we don't have a system in place to recover debt, how can credit be extended? And you start thinking about what is the number two largest debt now behind the home, student loans. Home ownership rates have been falling in this country for over a decade. Student loan debt has exploded. It was non-existent. didn't even exist 20, 30 years ago. Now the second largest debt we hold. Then you start thinking about these banks holding hundreds of trillions of dollars of derivatives. And you start to ask, you know, you tell me, how is this really going to work? You know it. I know it. I don't need to sit there and tell you everything. You already know. Now the question is, how prepared are you going to be when it happens? Quick look here at the markets. Uh, gold's up for $1,232 silver. Uh, up almost 30 cents today, uh, not a surprise. Uh, now silver's over 1660 uh, cases of silver eagles. And I will tell you, uh, Wendy was on the phone with the bullion bank this morning. These cases, these backdate cases of silver eagles, the U.S. Or the US bullion bank told us this morning, that two-thirds of their surpluses now disappeared just in the last two weeks, just since May 1st. Uh, so once the, once we've run through this allotment, you're going to see about a 50, 50, cents an ounce increase on, on rolls of silver Eagles'll cost you an extra 10 bucks. Uh, cases of silver Eagles are going to go up 250 bucks because the only thing that'll be left are the 2017s. Uh, But right now, you can buy cases of U.S. Silver Eagles for $9,875. And that is delivered, $9,875, or rolls of U.S. Silver Eagles at $400. Silver still a really good buy, uh, down to 74 ounces to one ounce of gold. But anything over 70 is very very attractive take advantage 800-951-0592 make sure you're prepared